Tell me what you really, really want. Hi, I'm your hostess, Lisa Drennan. Welcome to Forgiving the Girl Inside, A Matter of the Heart. In these episodes, we connect with courageous women who are ready to share their healing journey stories. Forgiveness is all about connecting with our inner child, connecting with our heart, and realizing we can never go back and change the circumstances, but we can certainly gain a new perspective. Mindset is the crux of all that we do. It's a matter of the heart. Want to be a guest? Visit lisadrennan.com and sign up today. Would love for you to like, rate, and leave a comment on this episode. Be sure to share it with who you know will resonate the most with it. Want to learn more about aligning your thoughts with your heart? Subscribe to my website and connect for a free discovery call where we dive into Welcome to this episode of Forgiving the Girl Inside. This is May 2022, and we are doing a podcast blast, Sharing the Secret, where courageous women post-abortion, miscarriage, or loss of a child are sharing their beautiful healing journey stories. This is a powerful topic. The Emotions that go with this experience are often hidden, and many women don't grieve this loss. The purpose of this series is to let you know, if you are listening to these episodes, that you are not alone, and that when you reveal, you heal. By sharing your story, as we're going to learn from our beautiful guest today, Katie, who is a Christian life coach working with women to help them find their purpose. She's going to share with us today how she realized God needed to use her. And the only the only way she could be used by him was to share her story. So thank you so much, Katie, for being here. Tell us, what was life like before you found yourself with an unplanned pregnancy? Yeah, thank you for having me, Lisa. I am really honored to be invited to your podcast and to have an opportunity to again share my story. So I think our audience that we're speaking to, Christian women post-abortion, maybe a lot of you can relate to how I was um, before I found myself to be pregnant. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church every Sunday. I was your typical good girl. I went out of my way to make sure I did the right thing, that I looked good in front of people. That was my conviction. Um, I wanted to be, and I worked hard to be the good little Christian girl. I went to youth group. Like I was never, I never had a rebellious stage. I never did all the typical things like drugs, drinking, partying, like that was all not good. And so I stayed far away from that. So that was my life growing up after. uh, So I'm from a small town too, like 20,000 people, real small town. Everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everything about everybody. Word spreads fast. And so I did my best to make sure I was on people's good side and that people saw me as a good person and liked me very much the typical people pleaser. I was homeschooled. I only knew right from wrong. I only knew what was good and I was raised to live a good life. After high school, I attended a Christian academy. Like everything I did was to honor God and like follow his calling and be obedient and be the good Christian girl. So that's kind of a picture of my before. Wow. The perfect child. Yes. <laughs> Every <laughs> mom and dad's dream. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and you know, a lot of times when you're homeschooled, you're not exposed to certain things such as drugs, you know, sex, you know, and when I was growing up, it was rock and roll. <laughs> Got exposed to all of that. Um, and you had a totally opposite childhood than I, because I was exposed to drugs and alcohol at five. I had my first beer when I was five years old. Wow. And uh, yeah, smelled marijuana. And I probably got high off the smell because I had two older brothers that um, were teenagers. And 
my mom and dad were divorced. So they had all kinds of parties and we did all kinds of stuff. So I find it interesting that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of upbringing you have, you're going to make choices based on what you make choices on because of what the tools you have at that time. So what happened, what, how, how old were you when you found yourself with an unplanned pregnancy? Okay. So how that happened, I mentioned I went to this Christian internship. I stayed there for a couple of years and I felt like my time had come to an end. So I moved back home to central Minnesota and <clears throat> I right away got a job. I was living at home. I got a job in the fall. And then that spring I met someone, I met someone and uh, thought they were super cool. And, uh, attractive and all the things. And besides it was Valentine's day. So how ironic it must be meant to be just all these things were seemed ironic or coincidental, like, wow, this person and they're amazing and they pay attention to me and they're interested in me. And we met on Valentine's day, just very subtle. All of these things led me to, I guess, agree or give my consent. So I meet Mr. Wright, except he wasn't right <laughs> on Valentine's day. And we gradually begin a friendship. We exchange our email address and we're emailing each other. And uh, we start like, calling each other and we start building a relationship, building a friendship. And then things started to progress and we get closer in our relationship. I guess I knew that it couldn't be right because how I met this person was through um, my job. I worked at a check-in counter where when he would check in, I could see his account and saw that there was another significant other, his spouse. We grew more and I got to know more about him and his relationship and his life. And the more we grew in our relationship and I gave my consent, the more we went further and further. So it started... For me, maybe I was naive, maybe I was um, ignorant, maybe I just didn't care and I just went along with how I felt and just Mm -hmm. the coincidence of how it all happened. I started to see what was happening as meant to be, like this is right, this should be happening and like I'm here to make it better or like fix this problem that's going on in this person that I'm now falling in love with. And maybe this is going to work out, but I knew from the very beginning, like where that line was, where the boundary was. And I kept pushing it and I kept stepping over and crossing that boundary. I'm a good girl. I know this like the whole Mm -hmm. time I knew this is too far. This is too much. All the things, <clears throat> but I did it anyway. And gradually I gave my consent. So, so what made you, you do it? Knowing all these things about him, did you, did you ask him about the uh, spouse or the significant other on the account? Did he lie about it or? So it went untalked about for a long okay. time, like a few months, probably five months or so. And as we grew in our friendship together and we spent more time together. I think he was, he came to a point of being convicted. Like she really needs to know this. Like, I can't hide this. She's going to find out at some point. And I think it was weighing really heavily on him that he thought I didn't know. And now we're starting to be romantic and we're starting to like fall in love and that sort of thing. So one day, months later, he, we went to a park and he said he needed to tell me something. And when he did, I was like, I already know. I already knew this the whole time. And he was surprised that I went along with it, knowing this is wrong. Like we shouldn't be doing this, knowing that this whole time. 
So we continued in our friendship and things became deeper as you can imagine. So Mm -hmm. only a year, yeah, only a year went by. Like we started being physical that summer. We started having sex. And then a year later, one year after meeting him, I had a sneaking suspicion, I guess you could say. I was like, something, I'm not sure, but I'm going to test. I'm going to test. I don't even really know what led me to be suspicious. I don't know if it was because I missed my period or what was going on, but I was like, I have to test now. I have to find out right now. And so for some reason, I thought that the best, most effective way to test was with your morning pee. So I was like, okay, I need a test and I need my morning pee to know for certain 100% ASAP right now. Yes or no. So I was living at home and I was going to school and working my job. So the next morning I pee in a jar (laughs) and I carried around with me all day until I could finally go to the drugstore and get my hands on a pregnancy test. And that evening I was going to meet up with my ex. I was going to meet up with him. And that, so that evening I finally get to a grocery store. I pull out my jar dunk it in and it came out positive. I was like, I was in shock. I was like, is this for real? Is this really happening? Like, what have I done? I was like, is this serious? I just remember being in shock, like confused, but at the same time, like, duh, Katie, duh. (laughs) How could you be in shock and surprised about this? Like, how was this such a surprise to you? So I had my test. I took care of the jar and I cleaned myself up and I went out to meet with him. So a whole day, like from morning to evening, a whole day of all of life's events going by, like going to school, going to work, changing my clothes for my job, having lunch, like a whole day goes by with all of this on my mind. And it's finally confirmed. Like I had been sweating bullets all day to get this answer and I finally have it. And I'm going out to sit in a booth and meet with him in a cafe where we're not seen like our whole friendship, our whole relationship is on the DL because it's, I know it's not right. Like it goes against my morals. I know it's not good. I shouldn't be doing it, all these things. And so I meet with him and I'm like, guess what? Like, you'll never guess. And so he's like, what? And he tries to guess out a couple of things. I'm like, no. And I give the test to him and he sees it. And you could just see in his face too. He was like deep doo-doo. Like this is really bad. This is not good at all. Like worry just washed over. And I was like, what do we do? Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Like we're both just kind of like in shock, like breathless. Like Mm -hmm. what do we do? So Not only is he married, but his wife is a prominent leader in the only Catholic church in town. Oh, boy. Like, this is not good on so many levels for both of us. Um, So my thoughts, of course... Me, the perfect Christian girl, the good Christian girl, I'm like, my reputation is ruined. I'm going to be ousted. Everybody's going to hate me. All these awful, like, things that are available for me to believe. Like, I was tempted to believe everybody is going to hate me. Like, I'm this awful person. How could I sin so greatly? Like, 
there are so many things wrong with this story. How could I do this? Like, who am I? And I just thought like, I am the worst person in the world. How? Yeah. And everybody's going to think the same thing. Yeah. During that whole time, that relationship, did you ever have any of those thoughts thinking like, I, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Did you ever have like the thought where like, I should like just cut this off and stop this. Did that ever, did those thoughts ever cross your mind? Oh, 100%. So am I back? (laughs) You froze for a second there. Um, There you go. You're back. Okay. So I was just saying, I met Mr. Wright. We were in a relationship for about a year until I became pregnant. And we were, we continued in a relationship and got deeper into our relationship. Um, for six more years, we were in a relationship together for seven years. And the whole time was like this balance of, Oh, this is meant to be like, it's all going to work out. God's going to use this for good. Like we're going to be together one day. And I patiently waited at the same time. I was like, this needs to end. This is wrong. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be giving my consent. I shouldn't be agreeing to this. I shouldn't be involved in this. It was like, it's all going to work out for good. I shouldn't be here to begin with. It was this really strong internal struggle, the whole relationship, like the whole time. And I did try to end it several times. And I guess I just wasn't strong enough and I didn't have help. I didn't have support because it was a secret and I couldn't do it myself. So I would try to end it. And then I couldn't get away from him. I couldn't block him out of my life. So we would just fix it. We would make amends. We would get back together again. Like it didn't matter what I did. I could not end this relationship. So almost like a drug. I mean, you said you never took drugs, but this is like a drug. (laughs) I was addicted totally. I was so weak in and of myself. And I was depending on myself to do the right thing and to like handle it and do a good job and do it well. I was completely depending only on my own knowledge, my own understanding, what I thought was best, what I wanted to do. I was only looking to myself. I wasn't getting help. I wasn't leaning on God. I saw God and I was like, I know what's right and wrong, but I'm not asking for your help. I'm not confessing my sin. I'm stuffing this down and keeping a deep, dark secret that I didn't want anybody to know about because I was ashamed. Yeah. And I felt convicted. Yeah. So you both decided mutually to have an abortion. So we found out, we found out and uh, he offered, I was trying, as I was answering your questions, I was trying to remember how that went. I just remember being confused and in shock and like, I don't know what to do, but I think very soon he offered for an abortion. Maybe he kind of pushed for it. Like we have to do this. We can't have this baby. Like this wrong is going to make it right. And we both agree like this wrong, this thing that we feel like we need to do is going to fix our mistake, like fix what's been going on, the wrongs that we've been engaging in this whole time anyway. So there was a little bit of like, this is what we have to do. And he, he was responsible. So he was going to take care of it. And I agreed. I was like, yeah, I'm totally humiliated, embarrassed, ashamed. I'm going to be ostracized, ousted. Like I was only seeing this far ahead of me thinking I'm going to live my whole entire life in this tiny little town. (laughs) And these are the people I'm going to have to live with the rest of my whole entire life. And so I thought I had to protect that. I thought I had to preserve and protect that. So we went through with the abortion. I mean, 
I remember going to the clinic. I remember seeing the doctor. I remember getting the prescription. I remember going to get it filled at the pharmacy, like just up the street. And then we came home together and I had all that I needed. And the next day, when it was like, as soon as I was able to do it, I did it. And I think I was still living with my parents. He couldn't be with me. I couldn't be with him. Where was I going to do this? I had, I had, I had to do it myself. I had to follow through and take care of this, take care of myself, do it myself. So I did. I was like, I don't have any other option. I have to keep this a secret. I'll die if I tell anyone. That would be the worst thing ever if this got out. I have to take care of this myself. So I prepared. I prepared like where I would do it at my parents' house in secret by myself. It was not fun at all. Yeah. And Your parents didn't suspect anything. I think I said I was going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap so that I had the ability to close the door and take as much time as I needed. And I mean, I don't know how much detail you want. I remember the experience, but when it was done, I, I decided that we did what we needed to, and now it's done and I'm going to live like it never happened. I told myself that I was wrong to begin with. I shouldn't have found myself here. It was wrong to be here. So I didn't have the right to be sad or sorry. I didn't have the right to mourn my loss. I was wrong in the first place. So Mm -hmm. all I wanted was to move on as if it never happened because I felt horrible about it. I felt shamed, embarrassed. I felt like it would be the worst thing if it were made public, if it came out somehow, like my reputation is ruined. I'm a horrible person. I'm not the good girl. I live my whole life to be. What is everybody at church, at school, at work, in the community, everywhere? What is everybody going to think about me? So I went through with it. I told myself, I have no right to be sad or sorry. Let's move on as if it never happened. So came out of my room, woke up from my nap. Everything was fine. And I moved on like it never happened. That was how I coped with it. I still stuffed it down. I still avoided it. I still felt bad about it, but that was the only way I could handle it by not bringing it out, by just ignoring it and pretending like it wasn't there and denying myself the ability to be sad or to mourn. So I never looked Um, at it again and I moved on. And like I was saying, We continued in our relationship, only now we use birth control (laughs) and we continued. It didn't end there. We went through this experience, knowing we were wrong, feeling awful, correcting it by doing this wrong thing, like making wrong, right by doing wrong. And we kept on with our relationship and I still felt bad. Neither one of you ever talked about what had happened. Did he ask like how you were or did he ask you like to open up about the experience. I mean, that was a really difficult thing to go through, especially by yourself. I mean, it's horrible. And I mean, it's almost like, were you numb to that part of it? You kind of like blocked it out and then decided never to talk about it, even with him. I think it was really painful for him too. And part of his story is that they haven't been able to have children And he wanted to be a dad so bad. He was older than me. And like, that's the one thing that he wanted in the whole entire world is to be a father and to have children. And so it was very painful for him too to know what we did. And for me to share my experience, I don't remember if he invited me to share or if it was kind of like, it was too painful. I knew he loved me. I knew he loved me. I think it was really painful for him to hear what I went through. However, he didn't stuff it down or forget about it or deny it like I did. So my Mm. way of coping 
was to stuff it, not acknowledge it, like forget about it, pretend like it never happened. But Mother's Day, he would wish me happy Mother's Day. I'm like, I'm not a mom. Like that was a thing, but it's not real. It didn't, it's, I'm not a mom, but he would honor that. He would respect like I was, and I could have been. So that's kind of the only acknowledgement that we made there. It might've come up in conversation, like sporadically about having children or being a parent or something like that, or how badly he wanted to have children, but circumstances in his life was that he couldn't, they couldn't. So I think that's about as far as that ever went. Um, That's pretty powerful. I have chills listening to your story. It's just um, so many different factors involved. And I, you're the first person that I've, um, that you've, that I've listened to that has said someone wished you a happy mother's day. And you're saying, well, no, I wasn't a mom, but um, technically you were (laughs) scientifically and biologically. And I'm not a science person. (laughs) Technically you, are you a mom now? Do you have children now? Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. So um, but you, you are a mom. I mean, you, yeah, you, you had the, the pregnancy and, you know, we have different definitions of words and that could be a whole mm-hmm. other conversation. But I, I just think that's interesting that it, it's, it's almost like the emotional support wasn't there, but it was there. And it, it was so confusing. I, I can't yeah. even imagine being that confused. And how did you, I mean, how did, so six years after the fact, you stayed with the person, you continued your intimacy and all of that at any point, like what made you break away? Like, what was the point that you finally said, this is enough. I need to move on. Yeah. And that is kind of a story that is a big part of my life. And it's a part of my story that, you know, I'm I'm proud of a lot of things, but I'm proud of, and I think a takeaway, I guess, what happened for me is I came to a point where I was fed up and I had enough mm-hmm. and I had to take, this is what I believed at the time. Okay. I believed that I had to take drastic action up until that point, nothing worked. There was nothing I could do to be free of this relationship there. I tried so many things to break it off and like be done, 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 done for good. But there was nothing I could do to be done. So I came to a point of being so frustrated and fed up that I decided I was going to move. I have to completely remove myself from this area. I have to go after that's the only way to be completely cut off and away from this person because in my own power was like, nothing would work. Nothing would suffice. I wasn't strong enough to say no or keep him out or get a restraining order or I don't know, whatever it took. I couldn't do it. And I was so fed up. I was like, this has to change. This has to end. Something needs to be done. I'm moving. I'm moving yeah, across a, the country. It's a big chunk of your life, but that's a huge, that's a drastic measure to take to get away from somebody. And so did you, you packed up and left? Did you go somewhere where family was or friends? So I made this commitment, like in my heart, I was like, I don't care what it takes. I am leaving. I made this vow in my heart. In the spring of 2018, uh, 2018. And so I started telling my family that I was moving and I started telling them what was going on and what happened. I told my, my mom that I was engaging in this activity with this person. Um, I did introduce my ex to my family and he actually was a part of my family. They knew him. He knew them for years. 
for quite a long time. They just didn't know who he was or about him. Not he was married. They didn't know. So I told my mom the truth. I told my mom what I had done years ago. I told her I wanted to leave. I needed to get out. That this is what I needed to do to move on with my life and be done with this person and kind of start over and like be free because I didn't see myself like living the life I wanted to where I was in that small town, like around the people that knew me there. And I didn't feel like I could be free. So there were a lot of factors that played into my decision to move Um, and so that happened like throughout the year, throughout the summer, I couldn't move because my sister had a baby and I had to stay until she had her baby. So I moved after baby was born. Um, it took about a year, like 10 months from deciding to move, telling my family all my deep, dark secrets, um, celebrating the birth of my nephew and then moving that fall. So. So you told your mom and dad about your abortion? Mm-hmm. What was that? My siblings. Like? Oh, you told um, your siblings as well. Yeah. Like I did you tell them individually or did you tell them individually or in a group setting or I went to each of them individually. Wow. Um that was we very each, brave. We each have a unique relationship. And so going to each of them and sharing on my own. Yes. So that they could process in their own way and they could ask questions that they might have to me personally. And so yeah, shared, let it all out. <laughs> I cried how, through how it all. Feel? It was painful. What, yeah. What was, I mean, say, what was that experience like? And was it scary to like the very, who was the first person you told your mom? I think it was my mom. I vividly remember telling my mom and my sister though, like they stand out, out of my four siblings, my three siblings, there's four of us and my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt so bad for hiding that secret and living a lie. I felt so bad for living a lie for so long. And I felt bad to like bring them into the light. I felt so awful, like a hypocrite that I'm living two lives, a life in front of my family and a life behind the scenes that they didn't know about. And I felt awful for that, but I wanted so badly to be free and released from that. I wanted that more. So even though it was so difficult and so painful to share and talk about it, it was through the sharing that my secret was no longer a secret. And now that they knew, now I'm not living a lie. And I wanted that. It took a long time to get there, to get to the point yeah. of wanting that. It took a long time. But did you feel that relief that you were looking for or that you you know you mentioned being free? Did you feel that freedom that once you did tell them? I through like feeling guilty and feeling bad and sorry to them because I had lied and kept the secret. Like I'm sure they felt sad and maybe they felt lied to or disappointed, but I think we were both relieved. I was so relieved, but my biggest fear, which led me to hiding and lying all this time, my biggest fear was rejection and judgment, but got to the point of like, I don't even care if I'm judged or rejected. I just want to be free of this. I want relief. I want to be real. I don't want to hide it more. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's like your desires of your heart were screaming out and, you know, you you led this, you know, to me, it seems like you were thinking a lot about this relationship and you wanted it so badly that you dismissed. And, you know, like you said, you applied this different logic. The power of our thoughts are so incredibly amazing and how they intertwine and create a story that we want to live. Um, You know, whether it be, I mean, our brain doesn't know the difference between reality and fantasy. It just does what we tell it. Right. 
So here you are, you know, intertwining this beautiful story, this love story that you thought was going to be picture perfect. And then you find out the secret about him. Well, you find out what he's really like, but then you kept that a secret. And then, you know, you patiently waited for him to tell you. And maybe, I don't know, I could imagine it. Maybe he would have said, yeah, we're getting a divorce. And, you know, because I fell in love with you and I want to start my life over with you and da, da, da. You know, because who knows what people are thinking, right? But it didn't turn out that way. And I can imagine, like, as I was listening to you, like, you get that hope. And then, oh, no, he's not leaving his wife. Okay, so what's going on here? And I imagine being, you know, in that relationship, that emotional roller coaster ride and hoping and waiting and thinking, is this right? Is it wrong? Is it like, maybe it's God's plan. Maybe it's not getting those, those, that confusion. Like you never really had, you didn't ask anybody to help you through that confusion. You're just like, Nope, I'll figure it out. I'm strong. I'm courageous. I'm bold. I'm going to do this on my own and we'll just see what happens. And so, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, you're putting yourself in that position and then here you are faced with this. Oh, well, if I have the baby, then everyone's going to know. And then, you know, his wife's going to know. And then, you know, what's going to happen? You know, so then let's take care of this. Like you said, you know, you did this wrong thing to make it right. But then something else happened. And then you finally snapped. And mm-hmm. but you too. So why did you think that the only way you can get away was to move away? Like, why did you not trust yourself to stay with your family in your hometown? Hmm. Well, what I had known or experienced through my relationship in the relationship is that he wouldn't leave me. He wouldn't stay away from me. He wouldn't stop communicating with me. I thought, well, maybe I can just move to the cities. Maybe I can just move like a couple hours away. And I was like, no, he's still going to find me. He's still going to chase me down. He's still he's going to follow me. I can't get away. I have to move far enough that he can't follow me. He won't drive five hours to come see me. Like I have to be far enough that, and it was hard. Oh my gosh. It was so hard because I still communicated with him. I was in love with him. I was having sex with him for years. Like I was tied to this person and Mm -hmm. it was hard to end that relationship. I couldn't not talk to him. I thought like, I thought I was going to die. It was so painful to end that relationship. So even though I was a thousand miles away, we would still text. We would still talk. I was still keeping those embers alive And it was, it just took time to talk less and less and get to a point of blocking, like block, not calling anymore. There's no texting. There's no communication, um, taking more time in between reaching out to Mm -hmm. each other or responding, things like that. And I think it also, my actions weren't enough because that's why I couldn't break it off. Like we couldn't be done because I would say something, but do another thing. And it took time and it really took like a determined, dedicated action of some sort to really show that I was serious and I'm not going back. This is it. I'm not inviting you back. I, there is no second chance. I really mean it this time. And if a thousand miles of distance doesn't prove that to you, like, then I guess I need a restraining order or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard to break those ties. Um, it, it becomes really challenging, especially when your emotions, you know, when your thoughts and your emotions are so tied together, that creates the results that we end up with in, you know, in every single relationship, whether it be wealth, health, or relationships is built on trust. So I imagine the trust, um, part, the foundation of that trust relationship crumbled more quickly. Um, when you decided to, to break it off, to block them off and not, you know, you never talked about it. You never really, um, visited it. Did you forgive him and yourself for choosing abortion? it was easy to look back and be mad and to blame Mm -hmm. him and say like he did this 
or if only he this, he that. But I never, we never got a chance to make that up to each other. I haven't spoken directly to him and said, like, I forgive you. We kind of just tapered off in our communication. And the few times that we did communicate until it came to an end, like, it was anger and it was like resentment of why can't we be together? Like, I love you and it can still work. And, and so it, at least I didn't make a point to express my forgiveness to him. So, and right now, like he could find this episode, like he could listen to this. He's still out there. (laughs) I'm not going out of my way to seek him out or communicate to him or open that up again. But I have like resolved in my heart. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, forgiveness is misunderstood because a lot of people think that in order to forgive, you have to share that with the other person, but you don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the beautiful passages in the Bible is about, you know, when God forgives, he wipes our sin clean. He, you know, when we seek forgiveness, from him, he wipes our sins clean and forgiveness towards others. We're just releasing ourselves from that, that trapment, that prison that they put us in that that situation has put us in. And no, no matter what we do, as far as blocking things and like, you know, you can block people, you can move away, but they're always still going to be a part of your life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know I had two abortions. Um, You know, I was pregnant three times prior to age 17, two ended in abortions and I look back at my younger self and I'm like, how could I be so stupid twice, <laughs> three times? And I have a beautiful son. I mean, my my third pregnancy, um, absolutely beautiful. And I remember the um, after the second abortion, my mom was very, very religious. I grew up Catholic Italian. And I mean, my mom had religious prayer cards everywhere. And um, if she suspected that I was ever pregnant, she never said, but I had my period like clockwork. So when I missed my period, I knew the day I missed my period, I knew something was wrong and I was scared to death. And, you know, it was just like, oh, we're going to get an abortion. It's like, okay. And, you know, just take some drugs and you'll be fine. And the second time I don't even remember, but I remember finding this prayer card and I share it in my book, Forgiving the Girl Inside, Finding Balance, Freedom and Fun in Your Life. It was called You Hung Me on the Abortion Tree. And it was a poem. And it, I mean, my mom had a stack of cards and this was gold, like this really ugly gold. And I thought, what is this? And I read it and I got on my bedroom floor and I was crying my eyes out. And I have two old, I have three older brothers and my um, one brother had come into my room and he saw me doing it. He's like, did you do this? I'm like, no, I'm just praying about it. I mean, he says, it's so sad that, that this happens and you know, like, and he was, he's, he was like really mean about it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I could never, ever, I swore that day I would never tell anyone, but it always prayed about it. And I was just so torn. And, but yet I went back with this guy and, you know, kept having these relationships and this relationship with him and this intimacy, you know, like, so, and I'll never, ever forget him, but I don't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely yeah. forgive him. And I forget, I finally forgave myself. I mean, you're talking 1985 is when I did it. And from 1985 until 2012, I wouldn't, I was beside myself trying to get help. I was just, I went to counseling and I went to therapy and never, ever talked about it, but I couldn't figure out why I was, you know, I was over drinking, overeating, overspending, and I didn't know why, you know, when you go to a counselor, I love therapists, I love counselors, but every single time I went to one, they'd get the little notepad out and they would say, okay, well, how does this make you feel? What's your family background? And, you know, and by my refusing to share what really I was angry about, I don't even know if I really knew because, you know, we are so good at hiding things and blocking things that I think there's so many layers. We put so many band-aids on things, you know, like take a pill, pop a pill, do this, do that, you know, absorb yourself into your career, do this, people please. And then you won't have to think about it. And we're so good as humans to avoid something that we don't find comfort in. And, you know, it becomes this big chaotic mess, chaotic mess, and eventually you burst. Yeah. And then, you know, I always tell women, um, especially those who have been um, sexually abused as children, 
you get to the point when you get about 40 years old, 35, 40 years old, there's something in you that snaps. You can't hide it anymore. So if you're listening to this and you're in your twenties, pay attention, (laughs) don't hide your feelings, speak them out, find somebody that you can trust to, to express yourself. You know, one of the things that I love to do is I call them brain dumps is, you know, and people call it journaling, but this is very specific because you set your timer for five minutes and you just write whatever you're angry, frustrated, you just write about that one thing. And I tell you after five minutes, it's like, okay, I'm good. And, you know, there's a, I have a 30 minute brain dump exercise that I share in my book, but it's just doing that, getting all those thoughts in your subconscious out of your mind. And when you do go back, I mean, we're never, ever going to be able to change that experience, those circumstances, you know, mm-hmm. we can't go back. We don't live there anymore. We can't mm-hmm. go back and visit it, but we can change our perspective. And scripture says to give thanks in all circumstances. And one of the most challenging things for me, and you can answer this, how do you give thanks? What good did you see come out of that? I know for me, it took me years. It took me from 2012 to 2021 to look for the good. Cause I started a gratitude journal in 2013 and I could never give thanks for that relationship. I mean, I despised that person with every ounce of being that I had. I, I just spewed bitterness and I look in the mirror and I spewed bitterness towards myself. I did not look in the mirror and see a child of God. I was saved at 12 years old in 1979, but I had religion, not a relationship. Every time I looked in the mirror, I saw you're stupid, you're ugly, you're hateful, you're a whore, you're this, you're that. And I named calls. And those are the beliefs I had. But at the same time, I put on my happy face and I would excel in my career. And, you know, I have three beautiful adult children now, but when they were little, I would just pour into them and I would cater to my husband. I would do all these things and volunteer because I wanted people to see that I was good. But in the inside, I felt like I was just this... I was waiting for lightning to strike me. I was like, okay, God, you're going to come down and get me. Like, why are you giving me these good things? I don't deserve them. And how can I give thanks? But the gratitude really changed my heart. And for whatever reason, I could never truly forgive myself and understand what forgiveness meant, that it just released me from this constant, this power of mirror talk, this constant beating myself up. And that's what forgiveness gave to me. And when I could finally do that, that's when I started feeling joy. And I looked back and I said, what thanks can I give? I can help people now. God is using it for good. I realized the kind of person I didn't want to be with. And I realized just recently that I really want to help these women post-abortion so that they're not stuck and Mm -hmm. that they're not hiding. They're not in shame you know, and God called me to do this back in August of 20. And I shared it in my book and published it in February of 21. But I'm like, I'm not coaching women doing that. No way. Post-abortion women don't want to come out of the woodworks. They're too prideful. They're too shameful. They're too guilty. They're not going to come and post on my wall. Oh, me too. Yeah, I want to come. <laughs> not yeah. going to happen. So, and he's like, God just patiently waited. And he's like, no, you're doing this. And now I am doing it. And I, I was a client attraction coach. And now I'm I'm a empowerment mentor working with courageous women post-abortion to trust their intuition again without external validation using the power of aroma cognitive behavior. And I thought, okay, let's do this. And there's still a part of me that struggles and it's like, it's such a sensitive topic. So what good did you see come out of that, that experience that you personally had with your own abortion? Yeah, I got to this point of needing to surrender because I was depending on my own understanding and my own interpretation and my own desires. I came to a point of saying like, God, I can't even speak for you of what you're going to do. Like, I'm just going to let you, you do you, like you be God it's not for me to say, oh, God can use my story. Like God can use this for good. I was done relying on my own understanding and my own strength and power. So when I finally surrendered and came to a point of feeling 
like, it's time to share my story. It's time to come out. And I did. It took a long time. But on my 30th birthday, on the day of my birthday, when I turned 30, I did a live on Facebook and I shared everything. I shared it all. I cried. I just shared everything because I wanted to be open. And it was no longer about me. The more I stayed in fear, And I was afraid and I hid and I didn't speak and I kept it a secret. I was making it about myself and God can't use like a wall. (laughs) I mean, if I'm not willing to be open and to speak and share and be vulnerable and, and show hurt and pain and like be open, if I'm not willing for that, I'm too busy protecting and hiding myself. It's too painful. It's too scary. How can I help others? How can others benefit from my story if it's hidden because I'm afraid? So there's lots of good that has come out. And I think even more is to come that I don't see yet. I don't realize yet. And God's still working in my heart about, but just small, gradual steps of obedience, like just chips away at that wall, little by little for God to use. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I thank you so much for sharing your story and being so detail oriented with it. And your expressions were beautiful and you just have an amazing journey. And um, if someone would like to connect with you, how can they reach you? Definitely. I will share my milkshake. I use that a lot. My milkshake website. You can find my Facebook profile. I'm on Facebook a lot. Not so much Instagram. It's not my hotspot. <laughs> um, my calendar is there. My podcast is there. All the ways to connect with me is in the Milkshake app. So I will share that. Um, but yeah, find me on Facebook, Katie Chavez. My coaching is Raise the Bar. Life coaching is my business practice. So I would love to hear from you. Oh, beautiful. And for um, those listening, if you want to check the description, you can find the links to connect with Katie. You know somebody who needs to hear this episode, please share it with them. And thank you so much for listening to this and subscribing to the channel. Remember, mindset is the crux of all that we do. It's a matter of the heart. And when you choose to reveal, you will heal. Thanks for joining in this show. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, all proceeds go to support Divine Timing Ministries, a safe place for courageous women healing from post-abortion.